get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. What's going on, traders? How we doing? Welcome to the SPACs attack baby you guys already know where you guys are at smash the like if you're a big SPACs fan let's go ahead and get this show started What's going on, traders? Do you guys see that? How quickly I changed? Magic. <laughs> Let's go ahead and smash the thumbs up. Let's go ahead and bring in my man, the Brain Scissors Show, Chris Ketchy. Hey, brother. What's going on today? How are we doing? What's going on, man? And the, the biggest thing is uh, we have some rumors out there, deals to be done. I mean, you know it. The SPAC industry definitely, definitely getting interesting. We had some rumors out there. And one of the things that I'm starting to look at is, man, you know, at least from my watch list, I'm starting to see some stocks that are always at the top and then some stocks that are always at the bottom. So what I'm really thinking about that is that definitely, definitely, we're starting to see that there's some winners and losers out there. If you're seeing your stock hasn't even been making a move lately, unless it's kind of like a, a brand new SPAC, I mean, that you can kind of understand why it's not moving. But if it's been a SPAC that's had, you know, uh, months and months after the announcement already kind of uh, officially have it, uh, haven't maybe merged and are done that vote date, but haven't really moved, I'd be looking at some of the ones that have been moving because I think that really what you're starting to see there is that there's winners and some losers out there. Let's go ahead and let's get into the headlines, Chris. I know you got some to talk about, so let's go ahead into the headlines. Yeah, another exciting day out there in Spackland. We do have one rumor that just happened a little bit ago and then one deal to talk about. Before we get into another exciting interview on the show later, another exclusive here on SPACs Attack. So go ahead, smash that like team, and let's roll through headlines. So up first, we have NGAC. This is the company merging with XOS. This is uh, self-driving trucks. Um, Benzinga actually out with an exclusive that I wrote that XOS announced a new agreement with Unifirst Corporation for electric delivery vans. Now that part of that deal is for three electric step vans, um, but there is the potential for more to be signed. This is a pilot program. Could be a good partnership with XOS, um, you know, as Unifirst is one of the larger uniform delivery companies. So definitely something to keep an eye out, uh, you know, on this stock if it was not on your watch list already. Then Fisker FSR, you know, moving again. As Mitch said, we're seeing some of the same stocks, you know, move on green days. Um, this is one of them. Fisker normally moving on the green days. The 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 company um, it, it was disclosed yesterday that Magna has a seven percent stake in Fisker. This shouldn't be a huge surprise. Magna is a manufacturing partner. Um, they were part of, you know, a deal earlier on, but this 7% stake, this is the first time I've actually heard this amount. Um, so definitely a positive out there for Fisker. One of the exciting stocks to watch later this year as they actually will unveil their electric ocean SUV later this year in November. And then a couple mergers approved. We have TBA. That merger with Iron Source approved uh, will start trading as new ticker IS next week. FTIV merger approved with Perella Weinberg that will trade as PWP later this week, looks like on Friday. And then we have FGNA setting a merger vote date of July 16th with OpFi, that July calendar starting to fill up with lots of votes, you know, as we get into that second half of the year. And then also SWBK. Switchback 2 Corporation uh, merging with Bird and a, a, a e-bike company. Um, they announced a, a new shared e-bike and smart bike share platform. Um, so that's one to keep an eye on, you know, on the, uh, you know, e-mobility uh, sector. And then Movers, yesterday we did have those four deals announced. 
So DDMX shares ending nearly flat, down 0.1%. CCAC up 0.1%. TM, THMA up 2%. And BCYP up 0.4%. So three of the four up marginally and one down just a tiny bit. Um, so pretty flat day for those four deals. Then one of our movers today, which I'm sure we'll get into, you know, when we talk about that watch list, uh, Clove once again moving, CLOV, Clover Health. Um, I did see a tweet from uh, Jim Kramer uh, telling Shorts that it's, you know, a good idea to get out of this position as it will get added to the Russell Index. I do want to remind viewers, we actually talked about this last week, that uh, Clover is being deleted from the Russell 3000 due to the failing of voting rights. So the Russell uh, indexes will have another list out this Friday on which stocks will be included. And I don't expect Clover to be on that list. Um, you know, they were on the short list before, but it looks like, you know, the Russell will not include them going forward. So I'm not sure what Kramer's tweet um, is all about here. You know, as I, I'm going on information we have directly from the index. And then a couple of stocks to watch. We have PSTH held an analyst day this morning to discuss that UMG deal. Um, I haven't gone through all the slides yet. I'll have an article out on the site later. Um, so keep an eye out on that. Maybe we got some new details on, you know, what they see for the revenue potential for that uh, company going forward. And then uh, yesterday, Canada did approve single uh, sport single sport betting in the country. So, of course, we have, uh, you know, some uh, SPACs to watch, Genie, G-E-N-I, Rush Street, RSI, DraftKings, D-K-N-G, um, you know, the whole sports betting sector. It looks like Canada going to be a major catalyst. And I think we could see some consolidation coming, uh, you know, with that being said. So keep an eye out on some of the smaller players, you know, like a Rush Street or a Golden Nugget online. And then uh, hitting the wire shortly before the, the start of the show today, we do have a, a rumor to talk about. Um, and I actually am long this, this company now. The ticker is FPAC. This is Far Peak Acquisition. Um, rumor out from Bloomberg that uh, they will be taking crypto exchange bullish public. Uh, this is a company backed by Peter Thiel. Um, this is according to Bloomberg. Uh, deal could value bullish at more than $12 billion. So a May of Fortune article said that Block.1, a blockchain software company, backers include, you know, Peter Thiel, will launch that exchange bullish um, with $10 billion in digital assets and cash. Um, that includes 164,000 Bitcoins valued at $9.7 billion. Um, you know, so that's something to keep in mind here that, that they actually have a large amount of Bitcoins. Uh, Hong Kong tycoon Richard Lee, also an investor in the company, and Michael Novogratz from Galaxy Digital, also an investor. Uh, if you remember when we did our show talking about crypto SPACs, Far Peak Acquisition, FPAC, was one of them. Uh, this is a SPAC led by former New York Stock Exchange president Tom Farley. Um, he has been bullish on uh, crypto for a long time. When he was with the New York Stock Exchange, they invested $75 million in Coinbase. Um, which was the largest investment made in a Bitcoin company at the time. New York Stock Exchange also launched a Bitcoin index that same year. Um, so again, Farley has been bullish. And, you know, if they get this crypto deal, I think shares go higher. We actually saw the makeup trade come this morning. You can see on that chart there, this was a SPAC that was trading around 970, 968. And we saw shares close that $10 gap real fast on the rumor. Um, shares actually traded above 10. I was able to get in right at that $10 level. Um, you know, I, I think this one goes higher when we get the deal announcement. And then our, our deal to talk about this morning, we have ticker NGAB. This is Northern Genesis Acquisition Corp 2, the same company that took Lion Electric public, now taking uh, autonomous trucking company Embark Trucks public in a deal valuing the company at 4.55 billion dollars. Um, notable that today they also announced the former Secretary of Transportation and Secretary of Labor, Elaine Chow, joining the board of directors. Um, so the company is focused exclusively on the U.S. trucking market. 
It's America's longest running self-driving truck program. They also have a leading safety track record over 1 million miles driven without a Department of Transportation reportable offense, which is better than their competitors. Uh, they're, they were the first company to have a self-driving truck drive coast to coast. Uh, they're going to partner with carriers that pay for software using a cloud-based dispatch and monitoring solution. Current partners include Anheuser-Busch, HP, Bison Transport, and Werner Enterprises. They're using a software as a service or SaaS model with trucks that will hit the road in 2024. That SaaS model and also the exclusive US differentiates them from some rivals like Too Simple uh, that uses a fleet model and also Plus that uses a retrofit model. Both those companies also not exclusive to the US. Uh, and then, you know, self-driving trucks expected to help with a large national driver shortage and improve costs for carriers. Uh, so revenue forecasted $867 million fiscal 2024, $2.77 billion fiscal 2025, two-phase model. So they're going to start with the Sun Belt region in 2024 and then push to the rest of the lower 48 states in 2026. They will charge 44 cents per mile, collecting a gross profit of 26 cents per mile, gross margin 69%. Shares were up 1%. This uh, that, that's what I've got. Mitch, what do you think? I know you talked about autonomous vehicles before. Um, autonomous semi-truck, you know, quickly becoming a, a segment here with two companies in the sector going public via SPAC, one via a IPO this year, those gross margins of 69% and that SaaS model, you know, looks quite impressive, although we are a couple years away from these trucks being on the road. What do you think? Well, definitely, you know, I, I've always said this, you know, it's, it's going to come autonomous before we really get the adoption of EV. Reason why I always say that is because at the end of the day, I think that's really what you need to get in every parking lot. Let's say, you know, right now you can see probably in, in a parking lot, maybe one to five, let's say in, in a 50 car parking lot that are electric. What's going to take that from one to five to, let's say, 20 or 30 so where majority of the cars are electric, I think what takes that is autonomous. You, you're talking about here semi-truck. I, I mean, we got the Tesla semi-truck coming out later in the year, too. I mean, there's going to be a lot of moves in the semi-truck industry, I think, in the next year or two. So definitely pay attention to if any of these LiDAR companies can really get this down packed. I think that's definitely one of the majority uh, focuses here is really can they get this down packed? Who's going to be the first Who's really going to take on kind of the, that that first role of, of kind of that first mover that really says, hey, we got it. We got it down packed. We feel that we can just ship this out now to companies. That's what I'm waiting to hear, Chris. I know you're probably thinking the same. Uh, did we hear in the chat? that l Let's go ahead and make sure. Are you on the right mic, Chris? Just make sure. Just got it switched over. It should sound so much better, team. Thanks and apologies out there. Did not have it switched over to the mic. Um, so go ahead and press one if uh, I am sounding better. Hopefully you guys were still able to hear those headlines, that rumor and that deal, because that was some exciting content there at the end. But again, apologies and thanks to whoever in the chat called that out. We appreciate you, team. Yeah, definitely. I got too good of headsets, Chris. I hear you good anyway. There's the but... ones. There's the ones. <laughs> so we're on track. We're doing better. So which is good that before that interview, you know, we at least got the audio going for that. But yeah, you know, I, I'm watching that rumor, Mitch. As I said, I did buy shares, FPAC, and then, you know, that that new deal today, you know, autonomous trucks. I, I really think that's a huge segment going forward. Um, you know, the, the biggest drawback here, obviously, is we're, we're a couple years away, you know, from having these trucks on the road. So I'm not sure, you know, how shares are going to react over the next couple of years. Um, but you know, ultimately using that SAS model and 69% gross margins, I know that's something you look at, Mitch. I mean, that's, that's a good number, uh, you know, that they're going to be able to help carriers save money, but also they're going to have some decent profits, you know, to go along with that. So exciting day out there, you know, and lots to talk about. I'm sure we can circle back to that watch list later, you know, after the interview. So 
Definitely, definitely. We'll go ahead and circle back. Yes, we're going to see some movers out there right now. I'm just going to call out the uh, top movers up there. One that I'm going to point out again, Chris, I pointed it out yesterday, PSAC making a move up again. Uh, kind of that that little hidden move that most people are not paying attention to. But if you look at the daily on that one, it's really starting to make a move now. It's made a move off of this kind of $12 back up there towards $14.36. We'll see if this one can get up towards a $15 level today. That's PSAC. Uh, Fisker, you heard the news there. I think there's no surprise there. I think at the end of the day, that's just a good sign. Because what it's showing is that I think both of them are going to rely on each other to show up on the bottom line, right? And so that, that's a good sign. That shows that at the end of the day, they're both supporting each other and, and taking a stake into it even more, showing that support that, hey, this is going to be a long-term relationship. Fisker, Magna, Magna is going to make the cars. Fisker will design them, and, and they'll keep kind of doing that That Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's win-win, right? You know, and that's Fisker, I think, is going to have their cars out sooner than maybe some of these other EV startups because they're using you know, a manufacturing partner. So I, I like that. I am long Fisker. I think we see Fisker cars, you know, next year. And I, I like that Magna, as you said, Mitch, has skin in the game, you know, with that investment in the company. So they're going to benefit both ways from Fisker's value going up and also from, you know, more cars being uh, produced by by themselves. All right. And the last thing I'll put out there for everyone to keep an eye out is, of course, Fisker, Fisker, uh, not not Fisker. Look look at me talking Fisker. The F, the F got me. FRX, guys, Forex, Forex. We'll see if that one kind of keeps moving. Uh, Did get mentions of it this morning. Carl talking about how it's going to be switching over towards that body ticker. Uh, You know, we had that interview with Carl a a couple weeks back. Looking forward to seeing how this company switches on over once we get that ticker. But definitely lifting off off the kind of 990 level we'll see if it holds tens did push up there today and kind of push to see if we can get the pattern to come on back all right chris let's go ahead and let's get into the area where we unlock some specs i know that a lot of people are going to be trying to get this spec unlocked so let's go ahead and let's get right into it all right guys yeah another exclusive interview here on specs attack This is actually a SPAC deal that we were able to break exclusively on Benzinga, on Benzinga Pro, on the homepage, an article written by myself. So joining us on the show today, we have the CEO of Locust Walk Acquisition, Chris Ehrlich, and Steve Werland, the CEO of Effector. That is the company going public via SPAC. That ticker is LWAC. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us on SPACs Attack today. Hey, Chris. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Of course. All right. So, you know, let, let's dive into to questions here. So first, wondering if uh, you can give viewers some background uh, on yourself. So we'll start with Chris here. Uh, just give viewers a, a brief background on yourself and your experience in the biotech industry. Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks, guys. Uh, so Chris Ehrlich, CEO of Lokeswalk Acquisition Corp. I've been in the biotech industry about three decades, uh, started my career in strategy consulting for biotechs, moved on to licensing and business development roles in pharma and biotech, was a venture capital investor for 14 years, and then an investment bank uh, uh, biotech licensing specialist at Lokeswalk until about January this year when uh, we took over uh, Lokeswalk Acquisition Corp. Awesome. And then, Steve, uh, your, your background in the industry, uh, you know, maybe prior to a factor here. Yeah, sure. Happy to do that. So I started on the science side of things. So I'm a total um, hardcore scientist to begin with a Ph.D. in chemistry from Berkeley and a postdoc in molecular biology at Harvard. And those are important because the science of new therapy is really about, you know, product development from the chemistry side and new disease biology from the biology side of things. And then I spent also about 30, 33 years in the industry. Um, have been part of some very innovative companies that developed, um, you know, important innovations, both in terms of how we go about discovering drugs and then also in oncology. It was fortunate to participate in the HIV revolution and then the hepatitis C revolution. And they really started Effector about eight years ago to bring some of those insights into how to think about how to outsmart disease to the cancer world, which is way more complex than most viral diseases. 
Perfect. So we'll we'll stick with you here, Steve. You know, uh, Effector going public via SPAC. Um, you know, why a SPAC deal? And you know, was a traditional IPO also uh, you know on the table uh, prior to uh, getting this deal announcement? Yeah, sure. So I'll give you just a little bit of background. Just about a year ago, maybe 14 months ago, we went to the FDA with some of our data and had a very positive discussion with them. So at that point, it was clear we were going to you know, move into later stage development. We recruited a great chief medical officer, background of Genentech, Memorial Sloan Kettering, those kind of places named uh, Colonel Patel. And so then we decided how we're going to acquire the capital, also push the uh, company forward. And so we certainly looked at both routes, I think, as we were in discussions around you know, both potential for typically biotech, you do a crossover and then an IPO. So it's a two steps longer, can be more dilutive. Um, as we dug more into the SPAC opportunity, it had a couple of attractions for us. One, um, probably a shorter time frame, um, deal certainty or better deal certainty up to, uh, after a certain point. Um, and then specifically with Chris and Locust Walk, what we saw was a true expert in evaluating biotech companies. So not only are we going to have the benefit of the cash that's in the trust in the pipe, um, Chris is going to join the board and we're going to have a really a deep level of expertise. You know, the biotech professional investors are super good, but here we have somebody who's sort of, you know, even beyond that in terms of experience in evaluating assets and in looking at deal structures and licensing and partnering um, deals down the road and whatnot. So we really got the benefit of, I think, that expertise in addition to the capital available to us. So you know, after some exploration of both paths, we decided that the stack was best for us and specifically Perfect. that LWAP was best. Perfect. And then, you know, we, we turn back to you, Chris, you know, uh, you launch a SPAC. I'm sure you looked at more than one company, you know, so you had your choice of, you know, several biotech companies here. What are the key points that really make Effector stand out that you were able to, you know, make the selection here to take Effector public? Yeah, so that's a great question. We looked at, believe it or not, uh, 91 private companies uh, since we raised the money. And we were looking for uh, specific companies that had um, uh, kind of a, a series of criteria that we thought were going to be useful in both robust and potentially non-robust public markets. We were looking specifically for platform companies out of a leading academic institution in the case of Effector, the technology coming out of UCSF. We thought the thesis was if you have a platform out of a piece of either biology or chemistry that can yield therapeutic products, real drugs that people can evaluate, that would be you know a good thing. And Effector had not one but two drugs, both in the clinic. Um, you know the value for biotech companies is as you can move down the risk pathway of uh, advancing science into the clinic. And again, creating tangible opportunities, uh, you, you kind of de-risk the opportunity and create more value in the case of Effector. The lead asset is in a very late stage uh, clinical trial, which uh, is very exciting because it has some near-term prospects um, for eventually being on the market. And so, you know, we talk about biotech and pharma as kind of price to dreams versus price to earnings. And so while you rarely think about a biotech becoming profitable in this case, uh, you can actually look at a pathway towards potential approval in, in some reasonable time frame. And then I think this won't be lost on you, Chris. You know, there are a lot of private companies that want to be public that we looked at via the SPAC uh, opportunity evaluation process. And frankly, they didn't have the management team to be ready. They didn't have the infrastructure to be ready. And because we have a pretty large size SPAC, they didn't have enough uh, uh, meat on the bones to say to actually digest, you know, up to 200 plus million dollars of capital, assuming the redemption. So. Out of all the companies we saw, we came down to a very small handful. And Effector certainly ticked all those criteria. Chris, you know, I got to say, I appreciate your honesty, you know, throwing out a, a number uh, of companies that you actually looked at there. That's great background information here. Um, I want to stick with the the deal a little bit and turn into, you know, the technology and Effector. So we have Pfizer. So part of the pipe on this deal what was Pfizer Ventures. They're also a partner with Effector. So maybe start with you, Chris, and then go to Steve. What does it mean to have Pfizer, you know, invest along on this pipe? And then how does Pfizer play into the partnerships uh, when we get to Steve here? Yeah, Chris, so, so thanks for that question. At the end of the day, one other thing that's really important for um, biotechs, given that they're early and, and incredibly risky relative to will the technology work, is some form of validation. So beyond, in this case, 
kind of world-leading institutions of UCSF and a great management team, what you often look for is the validation of some deep-pocketed pharma partner who actually has capital, does some diligence on intellectual property on the technology and writes a check. And in this case, Pfizer's now done that several times. They're both a partner uh, for Effectors Technology, having evaluated it very carefully, uh, as well as an investor at least, at least once, if not a couple of times. And so from our perspective, not that just following the smart money of a strategic partner is always the right way to go, but it certainly gives us more confidence in the platform and in the team that uh, somebody as robust as one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world did a lot of work and decided to write a check. Perfect. And then, Steve, if you just want to highlight, you know, the partnership with uh, Pfizer here. Pfizer is on our earliest asset, actually, which is always nice. Usually in biotech, the pattern is you sell your latest stage program and hope you can get the next one at least that far, maybe a little further. We were able to actually partner our earliest program, which is around a component we call EIF4E. And so, you know, the um, oncology team at Pfizer was very aware of this target. It's a very difficult target to do the chemistry on. Um, they were already on our board because they'd led the Series C venture round as well. And so they kind of had the pole position there. And of course, we talked with a lot of companies, but we did that partnership with them so we could advance that asset. They pay for everything going forward here. We get to um, participate in uh, milestones and royalties and then the potential to, um, uh, to exercise an option to co-promote and profit share in the U.S. So I think you have one of the smartest big pharma oncology teams and one of the most impressive groups there having looked at this asset and said, that's a program that we want to partner with Effector on and actually um, lead the uh, push of that into the clinic. Perfect. And then Steve, we'll stick with you. You know, uh, we've got a slide here from the investor presentation, you know, highlighting, uh, you know, the, the drugs in trial here, that robust pipeline. So, you know, moving past Pfizer, give us a, a brief summary of some of these other uh, trials that are ongoing um, and why investors should be excited about Effector here. Yeah, thanks, Chris. So um, the first asset I'll talk about is Tamiva Sertib, or we call it Tommy for short internally. So Tommy is now in a phase 2B trial. So if you know kind of biotech and pharma is phase 1, phase 2, phase 3. Phase 2B is a late stage trial where what we're really looking to do is take what's been a revolution in oncology checkpoint inhibitors and extend the benefit of, of those checkpoint inhibitors when you fail a checkpoint inhibitor, you have to go on chemo. And if anyone's had a loved one who's had to take chemo, that's very difficult. And often the uh, duration of benefits not that good. So we want to add our drug Tommy to the approved checkpoint inhibitor. In this case, we're using pembrolizumab or Keytruda. That's the market leader. And then add to that drug and keep patients on the trial longer. What's exciting for us now is this trial is up and we're enrolling patients. Um, and we're expecting two data readouts. There's two different groups we're looking at. Um, and one data readout in the first half of next year. So that's relatively soon in biotech land relative to when we expect the merger to close. So uh, first half of next year, and then a second bite at the apple, the second half of next year, which would be in a slightly different setting, but again, adding Tommy to Pembro. Um, so those are two very important, very meaningful, randomized placebo-controlled phase 2 B's trials. That's kind of the gold standard in, in, you know, in clinical trials and to the FDA is this a randomized trial that really scientifically ask, is your drug doing something in the context you're trialing it in? So we think both of those data sets will be very meaningful, again, about 12 months and 18 months from today. And then, yeah. I go ahead, go ahead. Go go ahead. Ahead. Yeah, I'm just going to quickly mention the second asset is a, a molecule we call Zotadafin or Zoda for short. Again, we come up with complicated names and then give them nicknames. Mm -hmm. So um, Zoda is just finishing up phase one now. So that's where you really ask, you know, is the drug, can I even get it into the bloodstream? Is it safe? Can I get the kind of exposures, we call them the levels of drug in the blood that I want to, in order to, to then test whether or not it's going to work. And so we're now wrapping up the dose escalation and expect to move into expansion cohorts. And what's exciting here is we already know that we can get the drug levels that we think we need at a good safety and tolerability readout to, to date. Um, and so that's very exciting. That will start reading out data in the first half of next year as well. And we have several different subsets of patients. We like to talk about biomarkers. How do you select your patients? So biomarker selected patients that will trial with Zotadafin. Chris, I, I just want to turn to you, you know, talking about this pipeline. You mentioned, you know, part of the reason the investment in Effector was, you know, the, the two drugs that are, you know, in, in those phase 2B trials. As you, you know, look past that, you know, how big of a role 
did that robust pipeline and maybe some of the drugs that are, you know, preclinical here play into, you know, selecting a factor? So biotech is a pretty binary business. And so making a bet on any one product is obviously a challenge. And so very significant for us as part of our criteria was having at least one, but ideally two assets, both in the clinic. I would tell you that um, based on my experience, you know, assets themselves like this are a platform in and of themselves. And so what we're less interested in is early stage, what we call kind of science projects that are preclinical and more interested in seeing how these assets play out in a variety of different kinds of cancers. And so if you look at the lines here on the slide, it talks about extensions and additional indications and expansion cohorts and combo studies. The neat thing about both these drugs is they can be used in combination with a variety of other drugs in a variety of different kinds of cancer. So while the lead for Tommy's in non-small cell lung cancer, you know, there's also potential opportunities in other solid tumor types. And so what we're excited about is that each product is a platform ideally in and of itself. And I think that played a huge role for us is that if we can get the appropriate amount of capital, not only can we diversify the risk of any one trial not working out the way you want, but you can also create this incredible robustness of a product that might work in multiple tumor types, which obviously enhances the value of the entire program. Awesome. And then, uh, Steve, I, I did see a, a mention in, uh, you know, some of the investor materials that the company has also announced plans to evaluate uh, Zodafin and, uh, you know, mild to moderate uh, COVID-19. So obviously, you know, we're all familiar with COVID-19, the devastating effects. Can you talk a little bit, you know, about uh, how a factor could play a role in uh, treating COVID-19 going forward? Yeah, absolutely. And so this kind of came from the underlying science that we originally you know, brought in from UCSF and the mechanism we chose to, to go after for cancer. It was quite likely that that would also be important in uh, COVID based on the underlying biology. So uh, first, we were part of a consortium, really an international consortium led by UCSF and other institutions that tested this molecule, reported the data out in nature, you know, probably the most prestigious um, scientific journal showing that zotadifen was one of the most potent molecules that they tested against COVID. Um, what we also know is that it's active against the original SARS from 2001 and MERS and some of the isolates and whatnot. So the mechanism we have should work independent of these mutations that are developing, whether it's the Delta variant that people are concerned about now. Um, so as a, it's also it's what's called a host-directed antiviral. So we're going after host proteins, the machinery within the cell that the virus hijacks in order to replicate and, and, uh, and reproduce itself. And so by doing that, we're less subject to the variations that the virus evolves to try to escape, whether it's vaccines even or antibody treatment or other small molecule treatments. Um, so that trial is now open as well. Obviously, good for society. There's um, less uh, you know, rate of, of infection right now than there has been previously. But we do expect that, it, you know, we may get additional hotspots popping up with different variants. And so we'll be testing this host-directed antiviral, um, Zoda, Zotadifen, um, against COVID and uh, looking to see if we can knock down the virus and therefore reduce the number of patients who get sick or need to go to the hospital. And Steve, I'll, I'll stick with you here. You know, I, again, uh, you know, talking about that pipeline, one of the things that stands out um, you know, aside from the Pfizer partnership is that Effector still has global rights, um, you know, to to those drugs. What's the uh, the plan here? You know, is Effector, you know, prepared to, you know, uh, manufacture, go all in on these? Or will we see some uh, partnerships, you know, down the road um, for Effector to, to get these drugs to market and, uh, you know, ultimately to uh, people? Yeah, well, so I think that's ultimately the goal that you said, get them to people and get them to markets and, and you know, then, you know, booking revenue as a company. So I think we always want to have flexibility. But one, I've learned again, I've been in this business 30 years, you have to be ready and have the expertise to go all the way yourself. Um, and the first company I ever joined, we launched our product and I thought that's what every biotech company did. Well, they don't always play the game that way, but we have to be prepared to go all the way, file an NDA, be prepared to do this in you know, the appropriate scientific and regulatory um, path going forward and, and be ready to both get that benefit out to patients and realize the investment benefit that, that the market, you know, rightly rewards companies who, who make it all that way. 
you know, I think you've seen, you know, companies do this in a lot of different ways. They've done global partnerships. They've done ex-U.S. partnerships and retained U.S. rights. You know, a model that I love is Pharmacyclics. That's a company that did a partnership that, you know, the sort of superficial view was, oh, did they give away something? Well, ultimately, it was a very successful company, great product that's treating a lot of disease and um, was, you know, incredibly successful as an investment opportunity as well. So I think you want to keep your flexibility and keep your options open. Um, but certainly we're prepared to uh, continue from where we are today to go all the way to an NDA um, and we'll use partnerships and, and uh, you know, and other opportunities as we see fit into our strategic plan to uh, push these products forward. And uh, I'll turn to Chris, you know, on that note. So, you know, as you may have looked at other biotech companies, you know, where maybe they didn't own the exclusive rights, the global rights to these drugs. How important was that in selecting a factor here? And, you know, now with you being, you know, on the board and, and maybe able to have, you know, a say in, you know, who to partner with or whether a factor goes all in, um, you know, how important was that to this SPAC deal? Uh, uh, critical. Uh, so at the end of the day, what Steve's talking about is absolutely right, is you kind of can't predict, you can prepare. And so the reality is, most biotech products are sold by the larger organizations and, and in some way, shape or form, there's, there are always relationships with partners. Sometimes it's a merger, sometimes it's just a license, sometimes it's global, sometimes it's regional. The trick is, uh, and I've learned this sort of the hard way, if you have too small a product that's kind of inexpensive to get all the way, then the large companies aren't interested in it. So that's a problem. If you have too large a market potential for your product and it costs too much, like in diabetes or cardiovascular disease, your pivotal trials are so expensive, then you're kind of beholden to a partner because you can't raise enough capital often to get there. What's really neat and what you're always trying to find is kind of the sweet spot, and that's where Effector comes out, is that is there a tangible indication with a significant enough unmet need where there's limited competition that we can credibly say we could take this product all the way to approval. And if we have to launch it ourselves, do it without a giant primary care sales force. And the answer in this case is yes. What that does is it allows you to have enough capital to be able to say, I don't like the deal you guys are offering me. Listen, the cost of capital is lower for us in the public markets. We're going to take, we're going all the way. And most of the time they say, ha, good luck with that. In this case, it's very serious. And there are really very, very few kind of therapeutic areas where you can do it. One is oncology for a specific indication. The other one is rare diseases. And that's why you see a lot of these very small kind of orphan disease uh, areas become very popular. So I think Effector has a lot of opportunities for leverage here. And I think business development or deals potentially with strategic partners is going to be an incredibly important part you know, of how we create value here. They have multiple assets. And I think, as Steve mentioned, for the earliest stage one with validation, they actually own part of those rights as well. And so if the company has enough capital, they can go to Pfizer and say, we're partners. We'll write checks alongside of you and capture value. I got to tell you, based on my experience, big companies don't like that. They don't want to share with a small company. And they say, why don't I just give you money and take it out? In fact, why don't I take the whole thing? And that's generally how these things work. Perfect. I, I do see one question in the chat here. You know, we talked about the, the timeline. There was the slide that showed, you know, some of those readouts in the next 12 to 18 months. I'm not sure, you know, if you're able to answer this, but a question from Cole, when would they anticipate approval of their lead candidate? Any, uh, you know, timeline or goal um, of actually getting, you know, some of these drugs to market? Yeah, and so I, I think it's difficult to predict the ultimate time for a market launch. I think what we would say is the phase 2B trial that we're running right now, we think that generates significant value in and of itself. And so, um, you know, the typical base case would be then you would run a phase 3 and, and uh, launch off of that. There is an outside chance that even that phase 2B date itself could support approval. And so obviously that would be a couple of years earlier than that. But just that phase 2B data itself generates value, as Chris was mentioning. So partners will notice that, investors will notice that, physicians and patients will notice that. So that data set is the value generating event that we see over the next 12 to 18 months. Um, and, and we're talking multiples here from, from where we'll come out to, if you look at how the market values those kind of data sets, it's multiples from where we are today and where we expect to be at the close of the merger. So I would focus on that as the next significant step up in value creation, and then we'll see what we do from there. Perfect. And, you know, uh, on that note, to, to leave our viewers here, you know, I'll, I'll let each of you answer, you know, what do you think the, the most exciting thing is? 
that investors should uh, really focus on with Effector. So let's go to you, Chris, and, and then we'll wrap with Steve here. What's the most exciting thing for investors to consider in Effector? So we did a great deal of due diligence on Effector, and um, what came out at the end of the day is that the company's got at least one very late stage asset, uh, which is close to uh, potential uh, value inflection milestones. They have excellent intellectual property surrounding that, uh, such that if that product does get approved, um, it, it built, you'll be able to protect the economics for a long period of time. And they've had very positive interactions with the FDA, which you know is kind of a game changer for these, either positively or negatively. And so if you think about creating an NPV around the assets and looking at the risk and the timelines, you know, this one's in a really good spot because you know, late stage asset, great data, you know, intellectual property that would protect it, and kind of really positive feedback so far, at least from the FDA, uh, should give you a path towards uh, real value creation in the short term. And Chris, what I would just add to that is I'll start back with, you know, our dream was to go after cancer in a new way and really make it better for patients in terms of the therapy. And that sounds great, but how is that investable? As Chris mentioned, it's substantially de-risked based on all the years and hard work we've put in and the very positive interaction with the FDA and where we're set up. So we now have a sort of a de-risked big dream. And so that's very exciting, I think, both within the company as an investment opportunity, those data events over the next 12 to 18 months you know, have the potential to be very meaningful and the realization from both the treatment aspect and from the investment aspect of the dream that we started the company with. And a lot of times you start with big dreams. They don't always get to this stage and, and provide the kind of investment opportunity um, that Effector provides. Perfect. Well, I think that's going to wrap it for, you know, the interview today. Uh, again, team joining us on the show today, we have Chris Ehrlich, the CEO of Locust Walk Acquisition, and Steve Werland, the CEO of Effector, that company going public via SPAC merger. That ticker is LWAC. Thank you both, gentlemen, for joining us on the show. Uh, you know, we look forward to, to following the progress of the SPAC deal and uh, those drugs, getting them to market. Thank Thanks you very much. Much appreciated. Thank you both. Bye. All right, guys, you heard it. You know, another exclusive here on SPAC's Attack, uh, another interview, you know, this time with the SPAC and the CEO of the company merging, you know, biotech. We, we've seen some of these biotech SPACs, uh, you know, really run, you know, going into the, the merger and also after you know, I really like that that we're going to get some uh, updates within the next 12 to 18 months, you know, from those drugs in trial. I, I love the Pfizer backing in the pipe and also that partnership. And also, you know, they own global rights to those lead candidates, which I think is a, a huge catalyst to unlock value here, you know, whether it's through a partnership or the fact that they own those rights and will be able to, you know, capture that those profits. So, what, what do you think, Mitch, um, you know, uh, of this company and uh, some of those points there? Yeah, definitely an interesting company. I'm going to have to take a look at. I did not know too much about, so that's why I stayed out there. And, and sometimes you got to stay out when you don't know. But that's that's what that interview was for. Definitely got some more information. I'm going to be looking to see if kind of did we kind of move out of that phase 2B and going into that phase 3. Wait till you hear that announcement. See how that reacts on the stock. One thing is, you know, uh, we were talking about a SPAC now, Biotechs. And I, I've always seen, at least from biotech, so that's what you, that's what everyone's looking for, right? The phase data and the, and the kind of the reports that are coming out of that. So let's see how that reacts with specs. Is it the same thing? Do you get that kind of push when you get those release? You know, I, at least uh, they pass what I always like to say: the phase one, the the, the rat test. <laughs> so definitely that that's the first that's the first test definitely move past that um one of the things that you can definitely see is that they're they're not just relying on one basket i think that's a, another opportunity there is that they have multiple opportunities to kind of build the revenue over time and like you said if they had to be the ones to take it to the public market i think that's also important to hear from and biotech companies say that yes we'd be willing to do it also and just do it all ourselves 
Yeah, you know, definitely this is going to be one that I'm going to be watching, um, you know, on the watch list here. I, I do like that, you know, again, 12 to 18 months, we're going to get some readouts. I mean, you heard me talk about that autonomous trucking deal this morning. We have to wait a couple of years for those trucks to hit the road. You know, biotech companies, similar thing. You usually have to wait a couple of years. But with this one, you know, less than 12 months here to really get, you know, an update uh, on where the company is headed. Mitch, I want to turn back to, you know, our our watch list. But also, I I did see the Bloomberg article out now on that FPAC rumor. Mm. And, And one of the interesting things, which I didn't really even think about when I was reading, you know, through my notes is that deal could value bullish at $12 billion. But the sources said that the amount of the deal could change depending on the price of Bitcoin, right? So hmm. if you look at Bitcoin and how it's come down from thir- from 60,000, you know, to, to 36,000-ish right now, it, yeah. here you have, you know, a, a company that owns Bitcoin. It's a Bitcoin exchange, and it could announce this SPAC deal with Bitcoin prices, you know, down to their their low here on the year. And, and maybe, you know, investors could see some immediate upside if the price of Bitcoin, you know, starts to rally. You know, so that's interesting to see how they're going to get that deal done. You know, what price do they set on, on that Bitcoin? How do they value it? So Interesting uh, thing for FPAC there. It, it does look like shares fell back down, but below 10 here, 998. Um, you, you know, I, I'm going to do some more digging in that one. I'll have an article out later. Um, FPAC, but I, I do like it. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, and Mitch, we talked about it on our show. We did a whole show uh, on SPACs that could target crypto. And this was one of the ones we talked about. And here we have the rumor, right, that they're going crypto, you know, so it's nice to get a win there if this really is the deal announcement. Um, but I think maybe we don't see that deal announcement over the next couple of days because I think maybe they want to see the price of Bitcoin, you know, start to uh, to rally again. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Uh, you know, the SPAC being tied, tied to Bitcoin, is that a, a good thing, a bad thing or ultimately both? Ultimately, both. I mean, at the end of the day, you're talking about an asset class that is always going to run into waves, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I think we can all agree on that. Maybe we can agree on that Bitcoin's going to 100,000, but we can agree on that it will have waves up and waves down both ways, you know, right? And with that being said, so it's going to be an interest, right? And so with that, that's why you're seeing someone take a chance like that and making companies in more of the Bitcoin mining and, and also having public companies in that area, right? I think that's big to have. Uh, we'll see if this one can kind of pull back. I'll see if it can hold 990s today. That's really the level I'm looking to see if it closes above today. And then we'll see if it can get above $10. $10 price point, right? It's always so important. It gives you that risk to return on these. We'll see if this one can get back above that $10. Yeah. And I mean, the the warrants on this were up like 60% earlier when I looked, you know, as I said, we closed that gap to 10, we were up above 10. But now we've fallen, you know, looks like some people took those quick profits. Um, You know, if you were long this at 960, 970, you had great value, right? Because you had, you know, the arbitrage trade or also the deal announcement trade. And here you got the deal rumor trade, where you were able to take a nice quick profit. Um, Michael, I responded in the chat, you know, articles on Benzinga.com. They're all free. I've got that link right there. You know, uh, so anyone watching, if you haven't read my articles, feel free. I I write about SPACs. I also write about other stuff, you know, what's moving um, and some trade ideas. It's not just all SPACs, but obviously I I try to cover as much SPAC content on Benzinga as possible. With that being said, Mitch, you know, what else on that, that watch list? Uh, you know, it's really catching your eye here. I know you pointed out some of those uh, winners earlier, but uh, what else is uh, moving out there? Oh, that old Mutrick. Ride, ride. Ride, ride, ride. 7%. <laughs> ride, ride, ride. Riding on up there. 7% up today, guys. Um, one of the things that I've been hearing about this company is potential buyouts. Hmm. How's that one for you, Chris? I've been hearing this. I've been talking to certain people about this one. Could we see potentially GM 
maybe or Honda step in here and, and, and purchase this company. Reason why is that they also got some credits, right? Um, they, they're probably going to get some credits with their vehicle, right? And so one thing they can use is they can use that money that's going to be given towards that credit to kind of give them a little bit more of a, let's say, a valuation, a target valuation for an acquisition, right? And so that's what I'm going to go ahead and put out there for Ride. I think in the long run, you might see someone, a, a bigger car company step up and take this one. The biggest thing really is also, I, I think about it is, can they run into problems with the IP that they grabbed from Workhorse? And that's kind of the issue that I could see. And then maybe Workhorse could be like, well, essentially GM and, and, and Honda took my took my truck, uh, and then made it their own. So that's those are the kind of questions that I have. What do you think of my crazy thinking here, Chris? No, you're not crazy at all, Mitch. Uh, and, and not just for this reason. Uh, you, you know, I this is the reason why I, I wouldn't be shorting ride is because they, they've they've come out, they've publicly said, hey, we need money, we need funding. They've also publicly said the the president said that they may talk to General Motors uh, about more financing. So General Motors owns a stake in the company. Workhorse owns a stake in the company. So you have two companies there that don't want to see Ride fail or go to zero or not produce any trucks. So I, I think you're right. Those would be my my two picks since they already have a vested interest. You know, Workhorse lost that USPS deal. They are still fighting to get a piece of it. Maybe they shift here, though, and, and they go all in on Lordstown and they just, you know, merge the two companies. They work on getting that endurance built. They, you know, get that to market. I mean, Lordstown does have manufacturing capabilities, too. They're ready to go and make this truck. They just need money to do it. You know, the, the question is, will consumer demand be there? It has been so far for fleet customers. Um, but yeah, I, I would be careful shorting this at all or, you know, buying puts because if it does get financing or a buyout, you're, you're most likely going to see an immediate spike. And I think that is where some of the optimism is coming here. The, the big question will be timing. You know, how, how long is it going to take for them to get that financing? And also, is Lordstown looking for a buyout? You know, are they just looking for financing? Or at this point, you know, are, are the new leaders in the company ready to just, you know, take a buyout if it is thrown at them? So definitely something to watch, Mitch. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. I, I think uh, a lot of the board would probably take their cash and run. So maybe you see that happen. Uh, I can't blame them if they do, especially seeing how their CEO kind of just left them in the rut. Right. I mean, that's the truth. He just left them. He just said goodbye. Bye bye, guys. Right at the worst time. Bye bye. Yeah, As he was waving his money, too, though. In his yeah, yeah. He so. was like, I I'll take my stock. Take my stock with you guys. I'll see what you guys do with the with the stock itself. So uh, another question is, when are we going to get that full announcement of a brand new CEO, right? There's just an intern, right? Yep, just an interim CEO right now. And, you know, that is another, you know, that also, Mitch, that's a good point. That could oh. be another. That could be another catalyst, right? When they announce that CEO, are they are they bringing in someone who has a history with turnarounds of bad businesses, or are they bringing in someone who has a history in automotive? Which way are they going? Are they trying to you know keep their you know product really on track, or are they bringing in someone who's going to really you know shore up their finances and keep them on track? I don't know if they can find someone with both that experience. So I think you're going to see them lean one way or the other. That's that's a great point there, Mitch. Another thing for investors to watch. And, and those would be the two areas I would point out is, you know, which way do they go and which one could provide more value to shareholders? Yeah, Mike, I think you'll eventually maybe see a little SEC investigation going into that time. Uh, Mike talking about the time when he said, oh, but we have orders, but we don't have orders, but we have them. They're LOIs. Yeah. Yeah, oh. and and this is one of those examples, right, where where SPACs get you know a bad rap, right? Because yeah. easy, easy. You I mean. have these investor presentations that lay out forecast, and then you know after the deal's complete, all of a sudden those forecasts change. And Mitch, that's something you and I talked, you know, uh, off camera here about a couple of days ago. Is maybe you know companies need to be held more to those projections, and if those projections change 
maybe they need to issue, you know, a press release that says, you know, hey, uh, we're changing our forecast for 2025, rather than just all of a sudden sneaking it in there, you know, and leading it to, you know, uh, people like me and others on Twitter that spend hours looking at presentations to go, wait a second, that number's different and the company never disclosed it. So, you know, I think that's a great point too, um, you know, and ultimately, yeah, Lordstown, you know, just another one of those companies that, you know, really shines a bad light on some SPAC deals. But guys, there's great SPACs out there. There's great deals that have been done. So don't let this one be the the guiding light, um, you know, going forward. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we, we've said this before, I mean, Chris and I have been talking about it, but definitely SEC, if you're listening, let's go ahead. Let's, let's, let's figure out what we can do to definitely get these numbers matching more of the actual result that we're going to get. One thing that I talked about, Chris just said it, can we get some updated investor presentation timeline? Maybe it's required every six months to come out with a new one based on the new kind of look that your company's looking at, based on your numbers or based on the earnings that come out every quarter. Maybe that's the move and you give a updated guidance based on your earnings that you're actually receiving. And I think that could be a move also. We'll pay attention to see if we kind of get some new regulation changes in SPACs. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at a couple more here on the watch list. we got a, about two or three minutes left here. Let's take a look here. Look what's good and starting to get up there. It's interesting, but we're starting to get up FTIV. Why would this one be moving, Chris? Yeah, you know, so FTIV moving today, and that one completed their deal with Perella Weinberg. Um, you know, so we haven't seen the ticker change over. The, the estimate that I saw is on Friday, but, but this deal is approved. This is one backed by Betsy Cohen, um, right? We had uh, Betsy on the show. We had Daniel Cohen on the show. You know, this is another one of those fintech acquisitions. They've had some winners out there. So, you know, I'm not surprised to see this one getting some love. I think once that deal is complete, it'll get some analyst love as well. Yep. Same goes for FIII. Look at that. Up, up, up about 4.9. Seeing a little bit of a pattern here with some of the ones that we've been looking at to see if we can get the pattern to really come back roaring. And, and good, man. This one gave you a little bit of that sneaky volume the day before. Look at this, guys. This had 2.1 million shares traded. The day prior to that, 2.1 million shares traded. And all of a sudden, it just rockets up to 1050. Hmm. Seems like somebody got in there a little sneaky with a couple million shares. Yeah. And, you know, we're starting to see, you know, some of that makeup trade happen, right? So that yep. one, you know, a 10 to 1050. I, I really can't stress enough that the under 10 and and Mitch, we'll, we'll do a show in the future, you know, some SPACs trading under 10. I know one that caught my radar this morning was a RBAC, right? The one that's targeting sports. I mean, this is trading under 10 at what, 9 977 is what I'm seeing. You know, when that when there's a deal rumor and announcement there, you know, that thing probably goes to 10 immediately, right? So you're going to close that that gap and you know, I think that's going to happen with some of these ones that are trading under 10 is you also might see them over the next couple of weeks if SPACs get hot again and these you know, deals go through the vote and trade over 10, you're going to see Shares close the gap on that $10 price point. You know, another one that I own calls in IGAC trading at 975. You know, that's another example. These ones under 10, you know, to really be looking at here because you have a couple catalysts that can really, you know, boost those profits for, for you as an investor. All right. Last one I'm going to go ahead and point out here is going to be pointing out TDAC. Why would I point this one out, Chris? Yeah, TDAC, I mean, we we had him on the show, right? Lottery.com, sports.com. You're, you're seeing some waves in, in that chart there. And, and this thing, it, it you know, I, I think this thing rips, right, when, the, when they get through the merger because it's going to be a well-known brand, lottery.com, sports.com. Uh, you know, also, I think it's going to be a low float stock because they had several redemption periods already, on that merger vote, but, you know, so that's, that's my story with that. Mitch, what on the chart, um, you know, do you want to highlight there on TDAC? Up one, down one, up two, down two, up three, down three. That support needs to hold. 
Eleven forty nine from now point from this point on needs to hold. That's my line in the sand on the bear side. Cracks that back down. I definitely would look for this one to maybe crack down the ten dollar price point. But if it can hold that, get back up towards the twelve fifty. That's when we're going to be looking for volume to step up in this one. Look at the down trending volume here at the bottom. You see how that's downtrending there also? Look for that spike to come near that breakout point. That's what you want to see. That's showing you that the bulls take control and they breaks through that trend line. And then you can really get the momentum to continue moving you back up. We did see a rip out towards a high of 1687. So let's say 17 is your target. If you're looking at 17, you're probably looking at, let's say, a $1 risk for a potential move over this 1250. Let's say even if you got it at 13, um, we're, we're talking a $4 move. So that's what I look for, guys. A lot of times, four to one returns, three to one returns. That's what I want to get. I want to get my three return for a one ratio uh, kind of risk. And that's why I, I like it. I like the name, Chris. I, definitely the, the pattern stands out to me. I'll, I'll be focusing to see if this one can get the volume. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's on my watch list. I'll be looking forward to seeing if it can hold that uh, level. So uh, a great call out there, Mitch, uh, TDAC. Guys, that's going to do it for us, Facts Attack. Another great interview today. We we have another interview tomorrow. Um, so don't miss the show tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern time. And stay tuned for Power Hour coming up next. Definitely, definitely smash the like, guys. And like always, let everybody know where the best SPACs attack show is in the world.